You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from Chapter 1 of a fanfiction story titled Cupboards and Cryogenics, written by today's guest fanfiction author, Yodeling Prospector. Come, he mutters to the child. I don't have to stay here, Potter asks in a hushed voice, eyes wide with awe. Come, the asset repeats, trying to ignore the way his stomach twists at the thought of where the boy is headed. There is no reason for his stomach to twist. The asset does not want the boy to go through what he goes through. The chair, the cryogenic tank, the asset does not want to go through them himself. No, the asset is a weapon. The asset does not have wants. The asset completes the mission. Not delivering Potter would be failing the mission. Failing the mission would be worse, would lead to punishment. The boy means nothing to him. He is just another mission. Even if Potter goes through a similar fate as the asset, it is none of the asset's concern. His young age means nothing. The asset might have been as young as Potter when he started. He does not remember, has no way of knowing. When the asset returns to his handlers, these malfunctioning thoughts and feelings will be wiped. They are mission non-compliant. The asset simply grabs the boy with his flesh arm and holds the boy to his side. Potter stiffens slightly, but does not try to wiggle free. Stopping briefly back at the cupboard, The asset grabs the boy's taped glasses and puts them on his face. The boy blinks. The asset does not grab any of the toy soldiers or the bear. They are pointless. He heads to the kitchen, still holding the boy, and fiddles with the stove, setting it to catch fire and explode. Then, he steps out the back door, closing it behind him. The mission is almost complete. It will look like the Dursleys merely perished in a fire. The authorities will probably not know that Potter was even there. The Dursleys made that easy. There were no pictures of Potter in the house, but plenty of the Dursley boy. The house explodes when he's a street away, and lights and houses flicker on around him. The asset is already keeping in the shadows, and he is not spotted as he stealthily moves in the dark, still holding Potter. It takes several minutes before the sirens of fire engines are audible. With each step the acid takes towards where he will meet his handlers, some malfunctioning part of his brain tells him to turn around and walk the other way. south, east, and west, four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Today's guest fanfiction writer is Yodeling Prospector. He finished grad school last year. Congratulations on that, by the way. What an amazing accomplishment. He also loves playing games with his family and thrift shopping. Hell yeah. Yodeling Prospector has been a member of AO3 since 2016, 
and he has 12 fan fiction works posted for the Marvel Universe, Harry Potter, and Toy Story. Yodeling Prospector, thank you so much for being here today, my friend. Welcome to the Fanfic Maverick. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I'm actually so excited that you're here because we discovered that I've been a fan of your work for years now. So it's super cool to have you on today. I'm so super excited to talk about your work. But of course, before we start talking about that, I want to know about your origin story with fan fiction. Do you remember the first time you discovered fan fiction? So I'd actually started writing fan fiction before I even knew it was a thing. When I was in third grade, I wrote like little Lilo and Stitch stories and like just a couple like self-insert stories where I'd like meet Stitch or like a couple years later, I wrote one where I replaced Luigi in a Mario game. And I actually turned that into my teacher as a writing assignment. And I'm like, I don't know what she thought of that. When I first discovered that it was like a thing that people wrote online and posted, I was really into Disney's 2010 movie, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And I like would look up images of the characters and stuff, and I don't remember how, but somehow I stumbled across fanfiction.net for that movie. And then I quickly realized that there were other movies and books on there. And so I was really into Toy Story at the time, so I jumped into the Toy Story fandom, and pretty soon after, like Harry Potter and Star Wars, stuff like that. And I started like writing fanfiction in high school sometime. I think it was my freshman year. And I started posting like Toy Story fanfics and then Star Wars. And at one point, like my main goal was like, I'd see all these stories that were like 100,000 words. And I was like, I'm going to write something like that. But my longest thing had been like 10,000. Eventually, I wrote a crossover between Frozen and Tinkerbell things, And that ended up passing 100,000 words. And I was like, cool, I passed that milestone. And then when I started writing, like, Avengers, for a while, I was, like, specifically not in the Avengers fandom. Like, I'd seen Avengers in theaters with one of my friends, and I was just kind of like, meh. I thought that Tony Stark was, like, a jerk when I saw him in, like, Iron Man and Iron Man 2. And I was, like, way more into Disney movies. I was like, those movies are lame. But then in college, they had, like, $1 movie night, where you pay a dollar and get to see a movie on campus. It was really fun. And I saw Ant-Man only because I was like, I want to see them shrink down to toy size and fight with a bunch of toys. And then that happened with the whole like, Thomas the Train Table scene. And I was like, that made the whole movie for me. So then later, they were showing Age of Ultron. And I was like, well, I didn't really like Avengers, but I liked Ant-Man, so I'll give it a try. And then I liked it, and then I dove into, like, the fan fiction of it, like, literally that night. And then just, it went from there. That is so cool. I love that. Do you remember about how old you were when you first discovered what fan fiction was? I was, like, sometime in middle school. It's like, 12 or 13. But I didn't start writing it till I was, like old enough to get an account, like, on one of my Christmas lists, I actually put, like, permission to get a fan fiction account, because my parents were kind of wary about what you put online. And then another thing that was really a big part of my fan fiction experience was all those, like, Harry's abused even worse than in the books, and then was adopted by, like, Snape or Sirius, or, like, I just, like, read every one of those stories you could find, and then eventually I started writing my own. 
that's so cool. Yeah, there are a ton of stories. I feel like in lots of different fandoms, absolutely in Harry Potter, you have a lot of stories where, you know, Harry's adopted by one of the older mentor characters. And that's always super cool because then it turns into this kind of found family situation. And those are always super cool. That's like one of my favorite tropes. (laughs) It's mine too. Mine too. Just out of curiosity, what is it about the found family trope that you love the most? I honestly don't know because I was like pretty fortunate that I grew up with a great family and like loving parents and stuff. So I don't know why I read so many of like this character is like a horrible family. That is thankfully not my experience. But I just, I guess I just like the thing of like, you know, there's always going to be somebody who likes you sort of thing. That makes sense. And that's so cool. I'm in love with the idea that family doesn't necessarily have to be all about blood relationships. We're all born by blood into specific family units, whatever they look like. But the cool thing about life is that sometimes family is with people that we're not blood related to. And there's just something so compelling about that idea that we can form family relationships with other people just based off of who they are as people and who we are as people and the fact that we all want to be together. And I think that's so cool. I would love to know what inspired you to become a writer in the first place. All right. So I just, I mean, I always loved reading and writing. And like when I first discovered fan fiction, I would get like, you know, obsessed with certain movies or characters to the point where I'd like, memorize parts of movies and stuff so like when i first discovered fan fiction I'm like well i can read more about like woody and jesse and all those people and then with the harry potter stuff it would go into like you know they didn't really talk about like the stuff harry went through like he didn't find a nice guardian he was kind of stuck with the thursdays and i just really loved the fact that like you know, you could read a story where he got a good childhood instead of the like horrible one that he had in the books or also, like, there's this one fan fiction that I just loved because when I was in middle school, I got super obsessed with autism and would read everything that I could about it. And there was this one fan fiction called Different Not Defective by Awesome Like Glorious, where Harry was he's on the autism spectrum. I don't know, like, maybe it's a little bit stereotypical, but I just, I loved reading it. It's like, he was at Hogwarts and Snape was like, Snape didn't really adopt him, but he was, like, his mentor. Just, like, that was the first fictional thing I read with, like, in an autistic character's point of view that I really clicked with, if that makes sense. Then I just, like, I'd take tropes I really liked and, like, try my hand at writing them. Yeah, so also just with writing in general, like, I did some, like, writing activities in summer camps. I don't remember anything about what we wrote. I just remember that I was in them. And in, like, second grade, I actually got to be part of the school newspaper, even though, like, usually second graders weren't. I think you had to be, like, I don't know, fourth grade, some higher grade. And then I don't really remember writing that much for fun after that. Like, I remember in third grade, I wrote a story that was, like, I went on stage with Stitch, and it was like the self-insert, maybe eating Stitch kind of thing. And my teacher said it was really good, and she read it out loud to the class. And like, she's like, I'm not going to tell who wrote that, but as soon as she said Stitch, like literally everybody just stared at me because they all know. And then, like, I don't remember really writing much for fun later in elementary school or that much in middle school, but then just 
once I got a fan fiction account, I just started writing fan fiction and I found it really fun to just play around with my favorite characters. I love that. It really sounds like for you, writing was this combination of exposure when you were in middle and high school, you know, with summer camps and different things like that, plus encountering topics in fan fictions that you really connected and resonated with that made you want to try your hand at it yourself. Yeah, the summer camps are actually like when I was a lot younger, I was like seven at the time. But yeah, I just I had a lot of exposure to like books and stuff. Like my parents had like a reading time policy where like we'd have to read half an hour before bed instead of like doing anything else pretty much um, so i just i grew up reading all the time then i just transferred to fanfics too <laughs> that's so cool that's understandable though absolutely understandable i was kind of the same way we grew up in my family reading a lot and so of course i love reading a lot of different things and of course, my love of reading has absolutely transferred to fan fiction, <laughs> obviously, since I read it all the time. Do you happen to have any unique writing quirks? I guess one of my quirks is that I don't plan anything out. I just take an idea and run with it. I'm like, well, I'll see where this goes. And then I'm just as surprised as anybody else where it ends up. I'm like, I didn't know it would end up here. Like with covers and cryogenics, I didn't know I'd be introducing Tony or Steve or the X-Men or like anybody. It just started out with them on the run and eventually branched off. One of the slightly less cool things about that is like sometimes I wish it like I could like foreshadow stuff a bit more than I do. Like with Loki's monster family and finally belonging. I'm like, it would have been cool if they'd kind of been there from the beginning everybody had been like what's this but i didn't know they existed when i started the story either because i'd like just joined the marvel fandom knew like pretty much nothing about the myths or anything and then one of the other i guess maybe this is a quirk for fanfic i mean i know there are a lot of gen writers but it seems like there's a lot more people who write romance and like i read a lot of the like romance stories and that kind of stuff but i I've never really written it aside from like a background. So I guess that's one of my other quirks. And then also I just, I focus a lot on like the slice of life and I really have a lot of things about like disability and like accepting people who are different kind of things, which I guess that's pretty normal in fan fiction, but it's definitely a quirk for like a lot of media, I guess. I mean, maybe not recently because there's a lot more like representation than there was, but like, I feel like sometimes it's better in fan fictions and other things. Like a lot of the really cool autism fictional things I've read have been like in fanfics instead of TV. Yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite things about fan fiction, honestly, is the potential for representation because we get all kinds of cool representation. And I think that that's one of the things that drew me to your work in the first place. It's just that you do have that type of representation in your stories that was really compelling for me as a reader and just really made me want to see what happens. And I just found it so interesting and endearing with the way that, that you did it in your story. So I, I always think that that's really cool. And don't worry about the whole gen writing thing because um, you're not as alone as you think. I think that <laughs> the stereotype a lot is that, oh, everybody's, you know, romance writer and it's shipping all over the place and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, absolutely that stuff exists in fan fiction. It's a huge part of it. But after I joined the online fan fiction writing forum on Reddit, I realized like, oh, 
There are a ton of people on here that only write Jen, only read Jen. That's all they want to read. And that's perfectly valid and fine and beautiful. So you're in good company. Yeah, even a lot of the stories I was talking about, like the Snippet Ops Harry or Serious Ops Harry ones, like those were all Jen too. Like it wasn't like really that uncommon. It's just because I spend a lot of time on AO3 now. It's like oh, a lot of those seem to be not Jen. It's like I, I read a lot of like male, male stuff and like um, romance, and that sort of stuff. I just haven't really had any personal experience with that. So I'm like, I don't know how I read that, but also. I write other things I haven't had personal experience with, so I'm not managed that. Well, you definitely have a niche. Like, I feel like you're a little bit of a niche writer just because, like, your stuff does, like you said, it focuses on representation, found family, self-acceptance, which are absolutely valid, beautiful things to be writing about. So every time I think about you as a writer, I think, oh, he's a niche writer for sure. So that's, that's so super cool. Going along with that, I was wondering what your thoughts are on fan fiction as a general concept. What makes it worth writing and reading for you? What are some of your favorite things about fan fiction? The thing that really drew me to fan fiction was like, I would get obsessed with certain characters and certain movies and I'd be like, I need more. And then suddenly like, there's tons more. So it would just be like, you could get something that's totally different from the movies. Like one of the Toy Story things I read like when I first started out, it was like this AU where Emily, the little girl who gave Jesse away, didn't give Jesse away. So then like Woody and Jesse met like before Andy was even born because his parents were like their original owners. And then before like the first Toy Story movie even happened, and that was kind of like a slow burn romance between them. And I was just like, this is really interesting because it's so different from what we get in the Toy Story movies. But it's also still Toy Story and again with like the Harry Potter stuff so you could get something that was like the same characters I really liked but also like hey I want this other thing thrown in like fan family or autism like cool here have it here's a fake with it and I'm like yay and then the other thing I really liked is honestly if I didn't write fan fiction I'm not sure I'd be writing at all because there's something about fan fiction where you can like post and people actually read it which is really nice and it helps you grow as a writer because you can realize what people like, what people don't like. And it's not quite as lonely as if you're like, I'm going to write a novel and never let anybody see it. I look at like writing threads and people are like so off kind of by themselves, I guess. And fan fiction is more just like, there's a ton of other people who love the same stuff that you do. And just like I mentioned before, I love like all the different representation and how you can like take the same characters, but then do so much different things with them that, like, in my head, there's, like, a ton of different Lokis or a ton of different Tonys or Buckies or Harrys because they're all so different. Like, they're all kind of their own people, but they're all still, like, those characters. I love what you said there about fan fiction being one of the best options available for the hobbyist writer. Because you're right. Like, when you talk to other writers who are not writing fan fiction, they're writing a novel or they're writing, you know, original stuff or whatever. It can be a very lonely experience. You hear them say that a lot that, oh, writing is just a bunch of me by myself sitting, you know, alone all day with absolutely no feedback. The wonderful thing about fan fiction is that it's so interactive. You're not alone. Yeah, like I actually do try to write like original stuff sometimes and I share it with like 
maybe two people. So it's, you know, a completely different experience than with fan fiction. Where I've been lucky enough to get like a bunch of readers who will comment on what I've written. And one more thing that I like about fan fiction, again, and like representation thing, it's like I didn't even think about my sexuality or anything until like college. It was just kind of like a non issue. Like didn't come up in my mind at all, but then I realized like, hey, I, I like guys. And that was like around when I also started to read like gay stories, I guess. And what I really like about fan fiction is that so often it's just like, here's two guys, they fall in love. And it's not like all this like, you know, they're gay, so this happens. It's just kind of like treated as completely normal instead of like turning it into this whole like gay story thing. I just, I like that it can just be like a, just like a normal thing that's just like two guys and they like each other. And then also just like with the, you know, like disability representation, I've seen some that are like so much better in fan fiction than in like fictional books I've read. I mean, I've read a lot of like great nonfiction things or like seen videos by like autistic people that are like, you know, amazing. With the autism thing, it's just like I've read some really great fan fictions that are like, you know, from an autist, like the autistic character's perspective. And I'd be like, I relate to this so much, like so much more than I'd relate to like some of the novels with autistic characters, which would seem like, you know, a little bit too like just going off like the diagnostic criteria, like literally like they tried to make a character just like looking at a list of symptoms, but in fan fiction it just felt more real. And like when you get in your head, their head, you'd be like, yeah, this is like how I feel a lot of the time. I- I'm not like diagnosed or anything with autism, but, like I frequently thought that maybe I was on the spectrum, but, like, it just helped me be, like, I can relate so much to this character, and it was a really cool eye-opening experience, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like fan fiction, a lot of times reading fan fiction can help us process the things that are going on with us internally, and sometimes the things that we discover... In the stories and the words and the way that fan fiction is written, I think sometimes can help us navigate our own journeys in the things that we're dealing with. So I think that that's so super cool that you shared that with us. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really, really appreciate that. And I love that perspective. It's beautiful. One of the other things that just felt like so reassuring or like validating was like I got really into the Winter Soldier as a character and like you know he's this guy who doesn't like you know make many expressions he doesn't really say anything like people just like kind of think he's you know not there he's not paying attention all that sort of stuff and like when I was in high school I was that kid who didn't make very many expressions didn't talk to people like my sister legit said that someone told her they were surprised I could talk because I just didn't talk but then you read these stories from the Winter Soldier's perspective and he's like noticing everything he's aware of everything that's going on there's so much going like inside his head that you don't see from the outside but it's in there and that just that helped a lot both with me being like yeah there are other people who are you know just kind of closed off i guess sometimes and also with like some of my students were nonverbal, and like i would always tell myself like there's so much going on in their heads even if they're not saying it they're not able to like tell us what they're thinking there's still stuff going on in there yes reading fan fiction stories with characters that reflect us and remind us of ourselves that's incredibly validating isn't it 
I feel like speaking of self-acceptance, which is one of the themes that you often touch on in your work, I feel like fan fiction has helped me tremendously with self-acceptance, just like you were mentioning with the Bucky character. I have encountered so many different fan fiction writers' interpretations of various characters from various fandoms that reminded me of myself so much, and the way that they wrote the character was so stupendously beautiful that it made me feel good about myself, and maybe for the first time be able to accept those things about myself. So I think that that's so super cool that you've had that experience too. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, the other thing about Bucky is like, you know, he was like when I was a kid, I felt like I was more like, you know, outgoing and lively. And then it kind of stopped as a teenager. I felt like I was like, well, if everybody knows I'm really into Toy Story, they're going to think I'm a weirdo. So I just kind of like shut myself in almost. But then, so like that was kind of like Bucky. He was like Bucky. And then he was like, closed off into the Winter Soldier, obviously, in a much more horribly dramatic, torture way than I was. But then, like, I'd read all these stories where he went from the Winter Soldier and, like, slowly coming out of his shell again, like, showing himself to the world a little bit more than just, like, this, like, blank, like, assassin guy. And that would just help me be like, well, maybe sometime I can, like, stop shutting myself off and, like, just hiding my whole personality to people. And I think it did help some because I'd, like, you know, talk to people more sometimes. I'm still, like, a shy person, but, like, just reading about him going out of his shell could, like, give me, like, a maybe I can do that, too. And the fact that he went from, like, this lively guy to, like, closed off in himself, like, I can relate to that. It sounds like those types of stories are what give you hope. Fanfiction writers, PSA, what you do matters. Okay. <laughs> I know I say it on the show all the freaking time. Stuff like this, what we're talking about right now. Yes, stories are fun. They're entertaining. They're cool and all that. But also a lot of the stories that you guys are writing about are deeper than that. And they matter to people like us. So remember that, please. <laughs> that what you do is important. It's nice to let like people know that because I don't like, I, I don't really, like, you know, go around talking about that all that much, but, like, if somebody happens to write in a story like that, of, like, Bucky coming out of a shell, and it's something like the things that helped me so much, just, like, yeah, it really helps people, and it's great that you do that. It is. What you guys do is important. It's valid. It matters. So, you know, all of you writers out there, just keep on, keep on keeping on, keep on rolling with that, because we absolutely love it, and we need it, right? It makes the world a better place. Speaking of Better Place, today we are talking about a couple of your works. The one that we're talking about the most today, I think, is your most recent work in progress. Well, sort of your most recent, but it's a work in progress <laughs> crossover story. And it's between the Marvel Universe and Harry Potter. I will admit right now that I don't read a whole lot of crossovers, so I'm not as familiar with the different universes that normally get crossed over. But I never would have pictured these two specific universes going so well together because I've never seen a story crossed over with Harry Potter and Marvel before. But you have done this amazing job at merging these two universes together in this highly intricate, believable way. I was hoping that you could give us a quick synopsis of what this story is about. The story is called Cupboards and Cryogenics. And then also let us know what inspired you to write this piece. 
Okay, so Cupboards and Cryogenics is really just me taking, like, my favorite characters and my favorite tropes and just, like, smashing them together, building them together like Legos, pretty much. But I didn't know it would get as big as it has gotten or go on for, like, over four years now with a two-year hiatus in the middle. But I had read, as I said, a lot of those, like, Harry Gets Adopted stories, and I read one once called and all the children by so many feels about the Winter Soldier having to bring a baby Tony Stark to Hydra, and I fell in love with it. But anyway, so my version is that Hydra wants the boy who lived probably to, like, brainwash him into, like, a mini-soldier. So they send the Winter Soldier to get him, and he sees this, like, small, skinny kid getting beat up on by these people who are a lot bigger than him, and that makes him, like, remember, like, this skinny blonde guy getting beat up, but he doesn't know it's a memory. He thinks it's like a weird vision in his head. It's a malfunction. And so something in him is just kind of like, there's a voice in him that's like, no, run with the kid. Don't bring him to Hydra because they'll do horrible things to him. And he's kind of like at war with himself between like the emission voice and his other voice, which is kind of Lucky's voice, or more just like a moral compass. And I mean, I guess it's technically like, Stockholm Syndrome and Lima Syndrome because technically Bucky kidnaps Harry, but like they start to you know grow pretty close together. And meanwhile, like Snape and Dumbledore are like this creepy assassin guys kidnapped Harry Potter, like we have to get him back, um, and they're like chasing after him. My whole premise was just taking the like abused Harry finds a family and like the Winter Soldier and putting them together. I hadn't really been thinking about how the whole like Marvel universe and the Harry Potter thing really went together. Like, I'd read a couple crossovers that usually involved Loki because he was magic, and, like, there's magic in Harry Potter. But then, like, sort of slight spoiler alert, um, eventually the X-Men show up in my fan fiction because I just thought they were cool, and I'd been watching a lot of stuff with them, particularly Wolverine and Professor X. But then I was like, wait a sec, because, like, in the X-Men movies, like, people know about mutants and, like, know they exist thing in the Harry Potter universe, like, they don't know about magic, like, muggles don't know, and they're, like, a lot of the X-Men powers kind of are magic, like, mind reading, or, like, teleportation for, um, Nightcrawler, so it's, like, that doesn't really go together, so they don't know about magic, but know about X-Men, so I kind of had to just be, like, well, the X-Men are hidden, too. That was really just me self-indulgently combining a lot of my favorite tropes, and I had helped out in, like, uh, preschool and my high school. That's one of my electives, just, like, early childhood careers. So I've been around four-year-olds. One thing that I had noticed was that in the beginning, I was basing all the speech patterns off what I thought my speech was like at four years old from, like, old home videos and stuff. And then I remembered I was, like, what I thought was when I was four. It was actually when I was, like, two or three, and I was watching it, like, what the heck am I saying? I can't understand anything. And, like, in the videos when I was four, I had, like, pretty clear speech. So part of me wishes I hadn't, like, written Harry's dialogue the way I did with all the, like, mispronounced words and stuff. But that was also kind of inspired by another Harry Potter fanfiction where um, Harry was four and just rescued by Sirius. And it was this cute little, like, slice of life. Like, Harry meets the Weezies and he goes to the zoo and just all that stuff. Um, and they wrote his dialogue like that. So it's probably where I got that. <laughs> I think that's so cool. I love that you made him a kid. Like, listen, 
I don't have a lot of experience with children myself. Uh, so I don't read a whole lot of fan fictions with smaller children in them for whatever reason. But this Harry, your version of Harry is so cute. I just wanted to scoop him up and give him little kisses on his cute little chubby fat cheeks and be like, oh my God, somebody needs to take care of you. And that's usually not me. I'm not the maternal person. But <laughs> like your version of Harry absolutely inspires that, you know, sort of feeling in people, I think. And then I was also so incredibly struck with how on point your Bucky was. Because, like, obviously Bucky is an extremely traumatized character in canon with all of the crazy stuff that he goes through and all the crazy stuff that happens. And your story is mainly, I feel like, told from Bucky's point of view. It's just perfect. The way that he thinks, the way that he's aware of what's going on around him, his fears, his trains of thought, the way he reacts. It was just so freaking perfect and i loved every second of it it was just amazing Thank you. oh you're welcome you deserve that so actually with bucky the interesting thing about his character and i guess kind of a lot of the marvel characters like i'd seen avengers years before i got into fan fiction but some of them were like especially with bucky i had not seen the winter soldier it's like my first bucky experience was um the whole infinite coffee and protection detail series by Outlet. That had like the whole like the voices in his head, like one of them was like the mission voice and one of them was like the like the mission, the briefing and some other voice. Or maybe it was just the two. But like that kind of set Bucky in my head, I guess. So like I just kinda borrowed the whole voices theme too. Like the command voice telling him what to do and then it's more like moral compass, like memory voice telling him no, don't do what Hydra wants. I loved that that was part of how you wrote him because in your story, we really get to go into Bucky's head here because you're right. There's that primary mission voice, get in there, do the mission, obey your handlers, like all of that stuff, right? That makes him the Winter Soldier. And then you bring in that second voice, the voice that's more like the Bucky from Brooklyn, the Bucky who was Bucky before he was the Winter Soldier. You know, like you said, his moral compass. It's kind of like his little Jiminy Cricket whispering in his ear. And then those visions that he keeps having about Steve pre-serum were just so heartbreaking. Like, I loved that you juxtapose those with what he's seeing in front of him with a, a young four-year-old Harry Potter and how this tiny little kid who needs help sort of jolts those old memories out of him, those old memories that should have been wiped at this point. He really should not be remembering any of this stuff. But for some reason, this little kid like brings those memories back and brings that feeling of wanting to protect this child, even though his primary mission is to bring the child back to Hydra. And I loved that he's kind of able to break away from that programming enough to say, no, we're not going to do this. I'm going to go against programming here and I'm just going to take this kid away to safety. And oh, I have to mention this too. Like, by the way, I love that in your story, Severus Snape is the one with the reason here. Of all of the wizards that are dealing with Bucky and Harry, when they encounter, you know, when Bucky and Harry encounter these wizards, these wizards don't really know what to do with Bucky, what to do with Harry. They're worried for Harry, right? Because they think like, oh my God, this super soldier is trying to kidnap Harry. Like, what do we do? And Severus is the only one who can see the big picture and what's actually going on here. 
And he's the only one that realizes, no, Harry needs to stay with Bucky. Bucky is going to protect him. He, he did go in Bucky's head. And I mean, now that I think about it, Severus is like, you know, the like a former Death Eater spy guy. So uh, I feel like he could kind of relate to Bucky in that way. Not that he'd ever show it. But like, honestly, I'm surprised because, you know, Dumbledore was like, Snape showed up and he's like, hey, save Lily. And Dumbledore's like, okay, you gotta work for me now. Like, now that I think about it, I'm surprised he didn't try that here. I guess he might have, but he also got caught up in like, there's a muggle, we gotta oblivion. him. Or at least I think I implied that, and then they escaped. And I just haven't mentioned Snape or Dumbledore since. Like, I used to get comments like, what are Snape and Dumbledore up to? And I'm like, I have no idea right now. <laughs> um, I just kind of like wrote them out of the story completely. And then, um, super, super spoilery alert, kind of, not really. I mean, I just hinted, like, they, I mean, it's not a spoiler if you've read Harry Potter. You know there's a horcrux in his head, but, like, they discovered it. And, um, like, Moody's like, maybe you should ask Dumbledore. And then, like, it's kind of funny because, like, all the comments they got were people being like, no, not Dumbledore, like, literally anybody else. Why do people hate Dumbledore so much? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's super interesting when you go in to think about that. And I think uh, we were going back and forth in email a couple times uh, over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, and I remember you mentioning that. And I think I responded, a lot of the folks that grew up reading Harry Potter as kids are now millennials. They're adults now, right? And so now they're thinking about the Harry Potter story from adult, mature eyes. And sometimes there are some people that look at Dumbledore's behavior and some of the things that he allowed to happen. And they have really mixed feelings about it because in some senses, there are some people that say that you could interpret some of Dumbledore's behaviors as a little manipulative. I see that a lot on like the Harry Potter fan fiction subreddit. Yeah, yeah. But I think that it just makes for really interesting storytelling because Dumbledore is absolutely a complex character. Yeah, same as Snape. Like, people will be like, he's, like, a complete monster. He's, like, this, like, poor, misunderstood guy. Same with Malfoy, too. There are a lot of people who like Malfoy. But, like, it's just, like, I've noticed there's a lot of, kind of, like, people growing up and getting more, like, maybe this character isn't totally good. But then they switch over to, like, this character is, like, an irredeemable monster. And I'm like, isn't there a middle ground somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, isn't that more true to life, the middle ground? Because I feel like most people in real life are more middle ground, right? They're not completely evil, nor are they completely good. We're very complicated. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really like, I see a lot of like bashing stories that I generally tend to avoid, except they did kind of bash Thor and kind of like, well, I mean, it's, they pretty much turned like Thor and Odin into the Dursleys in that story. <laughs> Like, I tend to avoid bashing stories in general, but, like, some characters are kind of made to be bashed. Like, I don't know, like, Alexander Pierce, or probably, like, Voldemort. But then, like, the funny thing is other characters, like Loki, like, get, like, you know, so many fans, including me, and I'm just like, it's interesting which characters get that, like, treatment and which don't. It is, isn't it? It is. Sometimes I just feel like some of it boils down to the backstory that we get in canon. Because with Alexander Pierce, at least in the movies, because I don't know anything about the comics, I don't read comics. But yeah, in the movies, you really don't get very much backstory for Pierce, except 
he's the director and he does bad stuff in Hydra. And we don't know anything about his background, the, the people around him that make him tick. But with Loki, we did. We got backstory. We got feelings to go along with that backstory. And I think that that sometimes is what helps people kind of see some sort of redemptive potential in that character versus another one. Yeah. Was it Pierce who wanted Iron Man at his nation's birthday party in one of the movies? Like, I remember a throw right line about that. Yes. I just rewatched Winter Soldier, of course, to prepare. Like, it was very scientific, the reason that I had to watch Winter Soldier again. Not because I love the movie and am in love with Sebastian Stan, but for scientific reasons to prepare. Anyway, so I will rewatch that movie last week. And yes, there is a throwaway line in there where Pierce turns to Tony and goes, um, yeah, I'll help you out with your little problem, but you have to come to my kid's birthday party dressed as Iron Man or something like that. Yeah, this is kind of unrelated about Marvel, but it's just so interesting to see like how much of the movies, like whether they could get the full cast or not. Like, um, like in Iron Man 3 and like, Shouldn't you call the Avengers? Like, obviously, they just didn't have, like, the budget or the full cast or have them, like, on the movie deal. So it's just Iron Man. It's just, like, really interesting to see. Or, like, no, no, it wasn't Iron Man 3. It was in the Winter Soldier. Like, I've seen people be like, well, why didn't you just call the Avengers? It's a huge, like, Earth-ending thing. And it's, like, because it was a Captain America movie and they didn't have all their contracts. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's super interesting. Although, like, you know, I guess I don't mind just because we probably got more buggy screen time because of that. You can tell where my head's at. You know, thankfully, they do give us the movies that are like strictly Avengers movies with all of the cast characters, which is really cool. You know, speaking of that, there's that part in your story, Cupboards and Cryogenics, where you do bring in the X-Men. And I just have to tell you that I've seen every Marvel movie that's come out. I love them to death. And in the Marvel movies, one of my favorite parts about them are those epic scenes when the different characters come onto the screen together to do some epic thing to fight off the villains or whatever. And that moment in your story where the X-Men come out of nowhere, I failed to read the tags before I jumped into your story. So I didn't know that the X-Men were coming. And all of a sudden, the X-Men are just there in the story. And I screamed out loud because I was so excited. It felt to me like one of those epic comic book hero moments where the unexpected hero swoops in to help at the last minute, you know. It was just so cool. I loved it. Thanks. I was worried that it seemed like a, like, deus ex machina thing. But, I mean, I guess it didn't for you. But I was just, like, going through an X-Men phase at the time. And I was really interested in, like, because Wolverine's backstory is, like, really, really similar to Bucky's. I wanted to, like, look at that. They were both in World War II. I think Wolverine was in a couple other wars, too. And then they were, like, turned into these, like, kind of killing machines. It's so interesting how it's the same. And part of me is, like, maybe they recycled the same idea, but it was just really interesting. Oh, it was. It was. And, you know, I'm so glad that you brought that up because that kind of reminds me of the themes that I loved about this particular story. I mean, obviously, you have the found family element which is so precious to me. Like, I love found family. So you have that. But I also loved how you put several traumatized characters together who had similar trauma, if that makes any sense. Because I think one of the reasons why the Bucky character and the Harry Potter character worked so well for me is because they're both like deeply damaged, traumatized people that find each other and they help each other. It's not just 
Bucky like saving Harry and taking care of him and stuff. Of course that happens. But in the same vein, Harry is also healing Bucky. One of those things I really wanted to do, because a lot of the stories are like great, but they'll be like kind of make Bucky like extra helpless or something, or like not able to really do anything without an order. But I just really liked the idea of Bucky, because he like looked after Steve. I just like the idea of him looking after somebody, even as the Winter Soldier. And I was just kind of thinking like, you know, for Harry, that would be like, you know, the coolest dad ever. <laughs> like a dad with a robot arm and he's like dressed like Batman all the time. And like, just like Harry would be like, this is so awesome without really realizing like all the trauma stuff that Bucky's gone through. Like he kind of notices like sometimes my dad's like, he just kind of goes off in his head, but he doesn't really get it because he's so young. And, like, he's at that age where, like, everybody has the same experience as me. So I guess he kind of figures that, like, Bucky was hurt. It's not, like, it doesn't really fully click like it would for an older Harry. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought of something just now as you were saying that. That for Bucky, that might be healing a little bit for him. Because I feel like Harry sees him as a whole person instead of so damaged. And to have that one person in your life that literally looks up to you and thinks you are a superhero and doesn't see you as damaged or traumatized or anything, but just looks up to you so much. I imagine that that must be so healing for Bucky to have that one person that just thinks the world of him. Yeah, like having that unconditional positive regard is like good for James because he like, like he doesn't think he deserves it, but he gets it anyway. Like no matter what, Harry's like, you're my dad, you're awesome. Like, sometimes he gets mad, obviously, but, like, he doesn't give up on him or anything. Um, And he's also, like, he sees him as he is, like, right then. Like, he's not like Steve, where it's like, oh, you're just, like, my best friend, but you've been super hurt. Or, like, you know, Tony gets what happened. But Harry's just like, oh, he's my dad, and he, like, looks like Batman, and he has a robot arm. Yes, oh, I love that you brought that up, because you're right. When Steve is introduced into the story in the later chapters, you're right. He'll always remember Bucky from before, right? He'll remember Bucky from Brooklyn, and he'll remember Bucky from the Howling Commandos. And so this version of Bucky as the Winter Soldier, he just cannot comprehend it. And he's constantly, I don't know, hoping or expecting to see the old Bucky come through. So it must be just really nice for Bucky to have that one person, like you said, who sees him as he is now and has no expectations for him like Steve does, even though Steve is not doing it to be an a-hole. I've gotten comments like that where they're like, oh, Steve's such a jerk. And I'm like, would you really do anything different if this happened to your best friend? Like, you'd hope to get your best friend back. Like, I don't think he's being unreasonable here. (laughs) Like, who would want their best friend to go through all that stuff? Like, (laughs) Right, right. And you know, when you have a relationship with someone, whether it's romantic or platonic or what have you, you're always going to try to interact with that person based on that prior relationship, whatever it was that you had. And even though it's been so long since they've seen each other, like Steve doesn't know any other way to be with Bucky. So this is in a way traumatizing for Steve as well to have to encounter his best friend as someone completely different and learn how to navigate that. And he's not going to be able to do it perfectly at first, but he's trying yeah, and he he just woke up, so it's not even just Bucky that's different. It's, like, the entire world. It's, like, they have, like, those, like, projector newsreels, and now there's, like, smartphones. 
yeah, everybody acts different and like talks different. I don't know, just literally everything's different. And he's like, hey, cool, my best friend's here, except he's totally different too. I'm surprised. I've read a bunch of Stucky stuff and that's one of my big ships. And like I've hinted, like maybe they were a thing a little bit. I think I've dropped like a couple like one-liner hints. Like maybe they're like jealous or something. But I've been like kind of trying to leave it vague. I want it to be about Bucky and Harry. I don't want to like throw in a romance or anything. Yeah. Well, yeah. But just hinting at it, you know. I, I love that, that that's one of your ships, because that's one of mine, too. I get, like, deep into that, because there's just so much there. You know, I think it goes back to the thing that we were saying at the, at the beginning of the show, where, you know, a lot of us see parts of ourselves in that struggling Bucky trying to heal. Having so many stories out there where he's healing and he's doing better, and it's not perfect. It's not perfect at all, but he's trying, and Steve is trying. And I think that there's something so validating about stories like that. Yeah, I, I really like the like pre serum Steve stuff too. Like even if it's like he gets like the serum taken out or like you know something like that. Just because like physicality wise, I'm like literally pre serum Steve. I'm like five two and like under a hundred pounds. Like I'm tiny. So I just I love reading all the pre serum Steve stuff because I can relate to him more like you know size wise. Have you seen any of the, like, Marvel What If things? I have seen one of them. I saw the one with, is it Peggy Carter? Yeah, where she's, like, Captain Carter. Yes! Pre-Serum Steve is in that, but, like, so I ship Steve and Bucky. Like, I like reading all the stories, but I'm not one of those people that's, like, mad it's not canon. Like, I liked watching him and Peggy and Captain Carter then, too. I thought they were a cool couple. I thought that was really cool, too. And I loved that he was no Serum Steve in that, you know, because he's still the same person, no matter what his body looks like. He's still courageous and brave. So it was just cool to see him still be that in What If. He just had to go about it a little bit differently. Yeah, I did feel like they got, they kind of like, screwed, well, not screwed Bucky over, but I was like, really? He's like just a comic relief. Like you can't do a little bit more of him. But oddly enough, like it's, much as I've been into, like, Bucky and Loki over the years, I just could not get into their own shows on Disney+. Plus. Like, I tried watching, like, The Falcon, The Winter Soldier, and The Loki Show, and I got through, like, two episodes of each. But, like, while I was watching, I was, like, either half-falling asleep or, like, on my phone most of the time. Like, I don't know why, because I love the characters, but I just cannot get into the shows for some reason. <laughs> I don't know if that's common or not. I had that same experience. I watched both shows. I love both of those characters immensely. I just felt like the opportunities for really interesting, deep character, mm, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a deep delve on the characters. It wasn't there. And maybe that's fan fiction's fault, partially, because with fan fiction, I feel like I've gotten the deepest dive on both of these internal character studies. So maybe it's fan fiction's fault, but especially with Falcon and Winter Soldier, there were so many things, especially about Bucky's trauma and his journey, that were unaddressed and just glossed over. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> this is also very, very petty, but I'm like, why does she have short hair? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I 100% stan long-haired Bucky. 
that is the only way I will picture him in my brain ever. So I mean, he's fine with short hair, like you know, before becoming the Winter Soldier. I, I mean, like in like what is it, like Infinity War and Endgame, he still has long hair. So he like cut it all with it. I know, I know. It's kind of one of those things where he cuts it in Falcon and Winter Soldier, and now he's just a regular looking dude. And you're like, ugh. I think I actually like clicked out of a fan fiction once because he cut his hair, which I never see. <laughs> you know what? I'll admit that I've done that too. <laughs> I literally cannot handle it. But you know what? Like, that's just probably a me thing too because um, long hair on men is my kryptonite. I cut mine about six months ago, so I have super short hair now. But on men, oh my God, like that's my kryptonite. That's my Achilles heel. Don't even get me started. Oh my God. I do want to get back to your story because I loved it so much. Now, I was wondering if you had a particular point of view that you enjoyed writing for the most, because I think I stated that uh, most of the story is from the Bucky point of view, but I do believe that you throw in some others. Yeah, definitely the first, like, before the two-year hiatus, it was, like, only Bucky and, like, very occasionally just, like, checking in on what Snape and Dumbledore were up to. But, like, honestly, I think my favorite is Harry. Just because I can take all these, like, situations and make him completely misunderstand them or, like, not get the bigger picture. He just gets, like, little details and, like, it's fun to write, like, kids. Like, in a lot of my original writing, I write, like, kid points of view, too. So it's just, it's really fun to, like, take these, like, serious adult situations and put, like, a kid spin on them and try to think, like, well, what would I have thought when I was, like, that young or, like, Working with kids to like blurt out like completely random things like a, I think I mentioned this in an author's note for cupboards and cryogenics once, but when I was like in my early childhood careers class in high school where we helped out in the preschool, there was like Santa and Mrs. Claus came to like read to the kids around Christmas time, and I don't know what we were reading about like reindeer or horses, some kind of animal. I think it was reindeer, and this one little boy just I don't know where he's like. My grandfather liked horses, then he died. And I was just like trying not to burst out laughing because it was just like the most random thing I'd ever heard in my life. And I was like, that escalated so quickly. Kids are like that, though. They'll just say the most random things. So I love that you put that element in Harry's character in your story. It was really cool. I've got students now who like, they're older than Harry is. They're like fourth graders, I don't know, nine or ten or something. But they still do this thing where they like blurt out the most random thing. Like, I'll be trying to get them to, like, take a test on maps, and they'll be asking about, like, the intercom and the ceiling, and I'm like, can we focus on this test now? Like, we have to get this done. Or, like, we were reading this book, and, like, just, it was, it mentioned stars, and one of the kids came up with this whole thing about, like, a rocket ship, and I'm like, that's very creative. It doesn't really answer the question, but it's just, it's fun to see what kids come up with. Like, I remember coming up with some very interesting things when I was a kid. <laughs> Like, I thought I could take a sheet of paper and somehow fold it into a perfectly spherical ball, and then I'd throw it, and I had this whole, like, thing in my head where I'd throw it, and it would act, like, just like a bouncy ball. And looking back, I'm like, literally none of that would work. Like, none of that makes any sense, but I was just, like, convinced. Some of Harry's stuff, I try to think of stuff like that, where he's, like, convinced that, like, Again, going into the Horcrux thing, he's like, oh, if I stick a USB stick in my head, I'll get him out. Because, like, I mean, they did that with Zola, but, like, obviously it's not going to work. He's, like, so convinced that it is. Just his ways of trying to do stuff, I think, are just so fun to explore. 
it's kind of like getting to be a kid again in a way. Yeah, it is. And, you know, honestly, you know, because you work with children as a special education teacher, what better person, right, to give us that beautiful perspective from a kid's point of view. Yeah, it's funny how, like, blunt kids can be, too. Like, I was, some of them I'll, like, scribe for, which just means I write down what they say if they have a hard time, like, with handwriting. And, like, I was writing something down, and he's like, no offense, you're not as fast as my mom, but you're faster than me. And I'm like, okay, um, thanks. <laughs> like, I didn't really know what to say. <laughs> no, speaking of writing, though, I think I, I, I may have mentioned this before, but I am so impressed with the evolution of your writing style. I first encountered you, like, I want to say 2018 was when I read your earlier fic, Finally Belonging, which is also in the Marvel Universe. It's a, it's a story that focuses more on Loki and Tony Stark. I loved that story. I have it bookmarked. I reread it from time to time. In fact, it's funny. I just reread it like maybe three months ago, and now I'm talking to you. So it's like the universe works in mysterious ways, let's just say. I had read that earlier work of yours, and then coming into Cupboards and Cryogenics, I was blown away by how your writing style has evolved. I think we're actually on that same writing forum out on Reddit. And, you know, on that writing forum, you see lots of writers wondering how they can improve their writing, how they can evolve and, you know, get better and all that. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the things that you did personally to evolve as a writer. Like, what advice would you give to other fan fiction writers who are also looking to improve? Okay, I'm going to preface this. Like, I know a lot of authors have, like, you know, um, they are very self-critical of themselves. And, like, I look back on my old stuff, like, finally belonging, or, like, the first dozen-plus chapters of Covered in Cryogenics, or, heck, for me, old is, like, literally anything I'm not currently writing in that moment. But, like, I look at it, and I'm just like, yikes, I hate this. Why is anybody reading this? But then I have to think, like, you know, I've seen other authors say the same thing. I'm like, what, what are you saying? Your stuff is amazing. And like hearing you say that was like really nice right now because I had a lot of like doubts about some of them, especially after taking like disability lit literature. And they're like, don't infantilize your characters. And I'm like, yikes, what did I do that with Loki and finally belonging? Because he's like so childish. Anyway, about how to like work on writing. I mean, really all I did was I just kept reading and I kept writing and like, the more you read, the more you realize like what clicks for you, what works, and then you just try to emulate that. And then one of the big changes with my writing is that I'd mentioned a while ago that like I was writing, and I really wanted to pass a hundred thousand words for like this version Tinkerbell thing I had on fanfiction.net, but like and finally belonging five hundred fifty thousand words, some like huge number, and I'm like. The one thing I think I've noticed the most is, like, I went from trying to make things really long because I got hit in my head, like, I'd search out long stories, too. I'm like, the longer it is, the better it is. And I'm starting to realize that's not necessarily true. Like, some of the best things I've ever read are, like, a couple hundred words at most. Like, they're just trying to be more concise. Like, I've made an effort to make my chapters more concise. Like, even in Cupboards and Cryogenics, I was at, like, 5,000 words per chapter in the beginning, and now I'm more like 2,000. So just, like, don't think you have to stretch your stuff out, I guess. And then also just another thing I've done, I mean, I know a lot of things make, like, pop culture references. Like, even Marvel makes a ton of pop culture references. But, like, there's 
get dated super fast. So something I've tried today was make less. Like, I think I did, like, I don't know. I mean, I had Harry obsessed with, like, Batman, and, like, this is a little bit of a tangent, but, like, when I was a kid, I liked all the, like, I liked Batman and Superman and my brother is more into, like, Spider-Man. And then even in high school, I was like, I'm a DC guy, not a Marvel guy. And, like, I'd go to my high school library and I'd grab all the Batman books and I'd be like, I don't want to read Avengers. of playing Batman's cool. Obviously, that changed. Like, it's interesting to see how I went from, like, you know, 20,000 word chapters, which is, like, as long as some people's stories, to, like, shortening them out a bit and just trying to reference. I mean, obviously, and finally belonging, it's, like, so many references. <laughs> and, um... Now I'm trying to do that a little bit less. I mean, like, I don't think Disney movies are ever going to get dated, really. Getting back to, like, writers, just keep reading and find what you like and then see why you like it, like, what makes you like it, and then do that. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think that that is important, reading things, you know, especially, like, literature from all kinds of sources. I think that that's really important because you're right. I think if you already have a writer's mind, you're going to try to emulate what you see in different pieces of literature. And that is so incredibly helpful. Yeah, because like, especially with like the Bucky stuff, like, you know, thankfully, I haven't gone through what he's gone through or even what Harry's gone through. Like, you know, I've had a nice life, which is, you know, awesome. And just like, I'd read so many stories, like if I hadn't read all those, I wouldn't be able to write it really. Like, it's kind of like, I read it enough to where almost like I lived it, but not literally, but like, you know, you read something, you feel like I've lived that character's life. Like I would not have been able to write my stories if I hadn't read other people's stuff and gotten inspiration from it. So like on a lot of the writing subreddits and stuff, I see like, oh, how do I know if I'm being original or not just ripping people off? Like obviously I don't want to plagiarize people, but like, Everybody gets inspiration from somewhere. I've seen people in the fan fiction subreddit say, like, how many times do you find a story and like exactly that story? Like not like something so like it, like how I'd get into the whole like Harry's adopted trope. Like I didn't want just one of those, I wanted like so many of them. So just like there's so many different ways to do them and just it doesn't make you like a an original person to read other people's stuff and take ideas from it. Without plagiarizing, obviously. Yeah. Oh, and I love that you said that. I was having a similar conversation with someone very recently. I agree with you. Just because somebody writes a concept or a story that may have been done a thousand times, you know, maybe it's a trope that's been done a lot or whatever, that doesn't mean that you don't have something important to add to that particular trope or story. Every single writer is going to tell that same story a little bit differently. Because the reality is that all of the stories that we tell nowadays, no matter if it's fan fiction or published fiction or TV or movies or whatever, all of these stories have been told before. Yeah, there's like the thing that's like there's only like six plots or something. Yeah, yeah, there's only like six or seven actual plots that exist. And so for all of our human existence, we've been rehashing the same stories over and over and over. But there are an infinite number of ways to tell them. And that makes it worth it. I wanted to talk about Finally Belonging, which is your Loki and Tony Stark story really quick here. I mentioned that that was the first one that I read of yours, and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it for lots of different reasons. And honestly, like, 
the parallels between finally belonging and comforts and cryogenics are actually very similar for me because you have similar dynamics in that story as far as the themes because this is very much in finally belonging a found family type trope obviously like we both love that trope so much for lots of different reasons and everything but I loved the way that you really focused on the theme of self-acceptance in Finally Belonging. Like, that was a huge thing. It's also like a love letter to Disney movies, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Which I loved. I loved that you took different thematical elements from Disney movies to help Loki understand in the story that it was okay for him to be exactly who he is. And it was okay for him not to hide who he is from the world because he can still find acceptance. That was actually something that I got from a book, but I'll get into that. Yeah, tell us about what inspired this finally belonging story. I, I want to preface that, like, the summers of, like, Loki's brain damage. I want to say that, like, you know, autism and stuff, they aren't brain damaged. They're just a different way of thinking. I've seen it. It's like... Everybody else has a Windows operating system and you're a Mac or like, you know, just your brain works differently, but you're not like, you know, broken. You're just different. I want to preface that because it does say brain damaged in the summary. Yes. Yes. In this story, Loki is brain damaged. Brain damaged part was actually from a Harry Potter fan fiction. The summary it was called Session Transcripts by Last Crazy Horn. And the summary was like, what happens when a brain damaged Harry and a transgender Hermione are both sorted into Slytherin? And, like, the whole thing is, like, a, these script formats of, like, counseling sessions between, like, the heads of houses and all the first years. But, like, the the way I write Loki and finally Blonde and, like, the super rambling, chatting, even some of the, like, what I did later with the, like, way he talks, like, some of the quirks of his speech, I kind of just borrowed from that fan fiction. But then a lot of it was inspired by, like I said, probably like six times already in this. I got super into autism and read everything I could. One of the books is called Life Animated, A Story of Sidekicks, Heroes, and Autism, which is about a boy who was really into Disney movies. He watched them over and over. At one point, he wasn't speaking, and he'd like copy lines from the movies. And like Disney was his therapy, pretty much. I could they called it, like, affinity therapy, and they used Disney characters to help them, like, you know, like, learn how to do things. And, like, there's a scene where, like, his parents were struggling to, like, talk with him, and his dad, like, went and he got an Diego puppet, the parrot from Aladdin. He was, like, talking as Diego, and he's, like, that's the first time I've really had a conversation with Owen, the kid. So I kind of got the whole Disney movie obsession therapy thing from that book. I kind of almost based Loki's past on what I could get from Disney movies. I'm like, all right, what could he get from this movie that I could have happen to him that he could then watch the movie and be like, oh, if that makes sense. And then I also, with all the Harry Potter things I read, were like, you know, the Dursleys were like five times worse than they were in canon where they were like, you know, beating him up daily. And I copied all that. I turned Thor into Dudley pretty much. And like Odin was Uncle Vernon and I just kind of combined all those things. Um, I think I even had Loki read Harry Potter at one point in that. I don't really remember. I think he might have. I think he might have too. I think at some point Tony orders him the whole Harry Potter series. Yeah, because I know he did have that thing where he'd only watch cartoons. But like, I just wrote like Loki kind of like if I'd had 
literally no filter in my mouth, or like no filter in my actions. So like it was just very self-indulgent with how he acted and how everybody just accepted him as almost who I wanted to be, but I wasn't, or like I wouldn't let myself. Yeah, like pretty much my whole middle and high school, like I liked, you know, more childish things than other people, I guess, like Toy Story. I guess I just felt like more childish than a lot of my peers and I didn't want them to know. Yeah, no, but I loved that. I loved how you allowed Loki to be that way. And I loved how accepting Tony was and how protective Tony was because Tony was not expecting Loki to like crash into his penthouse and just start living there with him. You know, that was not something I mean, he who, who expects that? <laughs> yeah, who expects something like that to happen? But he just like, he takes it in stride and he's just like, oh, you need a place to live. People are mean to you where you come from. Okay. And he doesn't even bat an eye with the unusual things that Loki does or says. He just says to himself, that's Loki. And when people ask him, because, you know, a couple of times in this fic, other Avengers will ask Tony, like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? And uh, Tony gets really protective when that happens. And he's like, uh, that's just the way he is. Like, back off. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved that because he just accepts Loki. Yeah, that was like how I wish people would be. I think I I'm very good at like seeing my students as they are. And then Simba specifically, that stuff Simba he had, that was just like my cousins had that toy and I remember playing with it once. <laughs> I don't know why I picked Simba when I had like one memory. Because when I was in third grade, I mentioned I was really into Stitch. My brother had like a talking Stitch. I wouldn't carry him everywhere, but I definitely, there are a lot of pictures where I'm holding him and stuff. Looking back, I'm like, Simba is literally like Thor, and I made Thor horrible and that. Like, you know, he's like, I can't wait to be king, and just, you know, like, kind of reckless. It's interesting. I had Loki pick Simba, and there's the whole like, Thor trauma. Yeah, that is kind of interesting, right? Well, too late to change it now. <laughs> uh,. Well, you know, I can totally understand why he would be drawn to that, though. Like, I remember when The Lion King came out. That's one of my favorite Disney soundtracks of all time is from The Lion King. And I know that in your story, Loki is super drawn to that particular soundtrack. And he keeps asking Jarvis to play it for him all the time. And maybe in a way, he picks Simba because the part in your story where he picks that toy is when he's in the middle of New York City with Tony and he gets separated from Tony. He's this person in the middle of New York City who has no idea where he is. He has no idea where Tony lives. And so he's lost, right? And so he's wandering around super upset and he wanders into this store, this Disney store. And the first thing that he sees is that Simba toy. And so the fact that he chose Simba in a moment of panic and desperation, maybe in some sort of like subconscious way, he was searching for protection. Yeah, he wanted Thor to be like that, that he wasn't. Yes, yes, because he had always, I think, wanted Thor to be that protector for him. Because it wasn't just Thor that picked on him back in Asgard, it was Thor's friends. It was literally everybody. I'm sure that deep in his heart, he wanted his brother to protect him. Yeah, I, I actually just started a new story that was just like, Thor is protective there, but I just, Loki's a lot more disabled than that. Like, I based him off some kids I worked with who were like, I hate to use functioning labels, but they were like, they tested at like the level, like an infant, like from infancy to like seven, eight, twelve 12 years old. They did not make 
much progress with stuff at all. But, you know, there's still people. They deserve stories. I love hanging out with them and just, like, throwing balls around or doing whatever. One of my other Harry stories is that Harry's a feral child, which I actually learned about from another fan fiction where Harry is a feral child. I've based it off some, like, real stuff. And one of the things is called The Girl in the Window. It was, like, this big news thing, like, back in, I don't know, 2007 or 8 or something. There was, like, a girl pretty much locked in her house up until she was seven, and, like, nobody really interacted with her. And then she got adopted by this family, so it is, like, this bad family thing. She was making progress, but she didn't go as far as it hoped she would. So the 10 years later update was, like, she's in a care home, and she goes thrift shopping. She found this toy helicopter that was, like, you know, one of those baby toys you press buttons, and it says stuff, like, the bird flies up, up in the sky. They talked about that phrase a lot in the article. But anyway, recently I found that helicopter and the girl in the window 10 years later that she was playing with, and she was just pressing the buttons, and I found the helicopter at a thrift store. Like, the same helicopter was just really cool because it was, like, something I was reading about, and in the back of my mind, I was like, I wish I could find that. And then I just, like, look on the shelf, and it's there. I'm like, okay, I'm getting this, like, immediately. Yeah, it was just cool to find like something I'd read about and it was kind of like her Simba in a way in the story like Danny Simba um the girl in the window like the helicopter she was just playing with it and it was like she could connect with that toy and it's like reclaiming a bit of her childhood I think that that's so cool that's so cool that you have that and that's so perfect for you because I just think it's really beautiful. You like focusing on those types of themes in your story, the themes of disability characters, and, and they deserve that representation. And that's something that's super important to you. I love reading about it because I have so many feelings about it every time I read stories like that. So I'd been in a representation of autism in contemporary literature and film class, like this semester that I started writing Finally Blonde. And, and like, of course, I'd already read a ton about autism, but I was like, I need to be in that class. And then the same professor in my senior year was teaching disability literature. And like I said before, I got worried because they're like, don't infantilize your character. Like, if they're an adult, you shouldn't have them act like a total child, kind of. And like, I did that with Loki. <laughs> but like, I've worked with people who were not adults, but, you know, teens who acted like kids or you know i mean they said we're not supposed to use like a mental age but like some of the stuff they said in that class like you should never write about x like that stuff happens in real life or like i kept thinking like is this an accurate representation like with my students if any of them were characters they would not be an accurate representation for any of the others because you know they're all completely different people so what's accurate for somebody is very not accurate for somebody else I see a lot of writing advice of, like, how to write X type of character, and it's like, there's no one way to do it. My story is not the same as anybody else's story. Like, so just anybody out there who's worried about writing stuff right, just, like, if there's somebody in real life who's like that, then it's accurate. I mean, if it's not accurate for everybody, it's accurate for them. Yes. Oh, I love that you said that. I love that because, you know, I feel like I see a lot of writers who get really scared about telling the truth in their writing, right? Because they're afraid of offending somebody or they're afraid that other people aren't going to understand where they're coming from or they're going to be judged for it or what have you. I definitely have that fear too, just saying. I'm not immune to that. 
It's absolutely normal. And of course, like, you know, it's very normal to feel that way. But I think it's also important to remember that, you know, writers, right, writers, writers fall into the category of artist. And what does an artist do? An artist pushes the envelope. An artist tells the truth, even if it's hard. I'm always really pleased when I see artists and writers taking a chance <laughs> and being bold with their writing in that way and telling the truth, because the truth is really, I think, what touches people the most. Yeah. One of the things about Loki that I was almost jealous of, I probably said this already, was like the whole um, stuffed animal thing, carrying around stuffed animals. Like I did that some when I was a kid and then I was like, I had to grow out of it pretty much. Sometimes writing those characters can help you like get past that. Yesterday was the wear pink for breast cancer day at my school, and I didn't have any pink, so I wore orange. But I had this at the beginning of the year. There was just in one of the hallways, all the teachers were giving away stuff they didn't want from their rooms. They found one of those like monkeys with the velcro hands. It was pink. I was like, I didn't have any pink, so I took that pink monkey with the velcro hands and I put its arms around my neck and I said it's my monkey tie and like I got so many compliments from like people being like oh I love your pink and like they, the kids would like squeeze it and it would start screeching so like that was just kind of like a I was gonna say a Loki moment everyone thought it was cool and it was like something I would have been like scared to do earlier I would have been like people would think it's stupid but then like even all the adults were like that's a great idea that nice. Yes, no, absolutely. And you know, it's funny, the older I get, the more I realize that if I want to do weird shit that I think is cool, but other people might not, if I am confident about it, and I'm just like, well, I'm going to do this weird shit, I think it's cool. For some reason, other people tend to react to that confidence. I found that if I'm acting confident about it, other people are going to think it's cool too. I don't know why that works. Maybe it's a psychological trick. I don't know. So before we closed out today, I wanted to ask you two last questions. Obviously, the two works that we talked about today, Covered Some Cryogenics and Finally Belonging, they're both still works in progress. So I was hoping that we could talk about anything that we might be able to look forward to in the future with these works. So about where my stories are going, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't plan these out. I guess like in Finally Belonging, they're going to get Fenrir now. Like, You're like a ultra pantser. Yeah, I am an ultra pantser. I love that, though. I love that because um, when you said that not even you know where the stories are going, it's like a surprise for you, too. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, with that being said, I guess your audience, including myself, <laughs> we will just have to hang on to our hats and be surprised right along with yeah, you. Yeah, the downside of that is that I can get pretty stuck. So like, I just get random bursts of inspiration. That's okay. That's the way that you work. You know, every artist is an individual person with their individual way of going about things. And it's all good, man. It's all good. <laughs> oh, so it just means that we get to be surprised right along with you. So that's awesome. So before we go today, go ahead and let us know some of the other fan fiction stories that you wanted to mention on the show real quick. Okay. Some of these I might have already mentioned, but. There's the infinite coffee and protection detail, which was like my intro to Bucky and what made me fall in love with the character. And then there was, like I said, with Loki and Finally Belonging, it's very heavily inspired by session transcripts by Last Crazy Horn. And then just a random fanfic I really like. 
different, not defective by awesome, like glorious. And I had like subscribed to it on fanfiction.net back in high school, but I'd still go to the webpage like literally every single day as part of my routine to check if it updated. And it hasn't updated since like 2016, so I'm not sure. (laughs) Hope springs eternal. Yeah, I've recently gotten into Supernatural, which is ironically like the very authors you interviewed, the casual neurotic and ginger swag, I'd read their stuff. So that was a cool coincidence. So another one that I found that wasn't by either of them, it was called The Breath of All Things. I found it like two weeks ago, and it was one of those stories where I'm just like, I need to find something exactly like this, but there's nothing like this because it's so unique and amazing. But it was like Dean got paralyzed in a care home. He had some very like ableist views and like, oh, my life sucks because I'm disabled. But, like slowly he realized that wasn't the case. And like Cass was a volunteer. And it's just like a slow burn romance. And I loved it. Um, just Dean realizing that he could still live life like being disabled and, you know, it's still a good life even if it's different. Yeah, um, I highly recommend it. And it was one of those stories where, like, you read it and you look for other stuff and you can't find anything else, so then you just read it again. <laughs> kind of like one of the very first Avengers things I read was Poetic Justice by Lamette. I went to fan fiction and I sorted by reviews, and that was one of the highest. That was, like, the first Avengers story I ever read. And, like, I binged it in, like, two days in college. That was, like, literally all I did. <laughs> Also, there's A Different Fate by Lord Hellebore, but it's, like, it was this really short, like, Drabble series. It was pretty much, like, Harry was developmentally disabled, and it was, like, you know, Petunia and Dudley were, like, you know, actually decent human beings and raised them, but it was just, like, so well-written and amazing that, like, it's been floating in my head for years. And then it also helped me realize, like, you don't need a super long story. Like something can be short and still be so meaningful. Which like some of the other stuff I've read been like that too. But like that was a very important writing lesson for me. I feel like. And then about Avengers Marvel crossovers, there's one that I think is only on fanfiction.net called "I See the Moon" by I don't know. It's spelled like Boston bitch, but the letters are backwards. And it was like. Harry's kind of like Luna. He's like eccentric and saying all the stuff that doesn't make sense. And he runs across Bruce. And when Bruce is on the run before Avengers, it's kind of like a fan family thing again. But Harry's like this like quasi, like not delusional, but like he just talks about like all Luna's imaginary creatures and stuff. And just, I love that. It's very well written. And then uh, the taming of Harry Potter was what introduced me to the whole like feral child thing which i find kind of fascinating and also you know super tragic in a lot of cases and then last but not least i think i mentioned this already his boy by the shy quiet one was just like this like really fluffy like four-year-old harry gets found by serious and remiss and just the you know normal four-year-old stuff like you know go on a beach trip it's just very slice of life fun stuff <laughs> And that was really good. And that was probably why I started writing my four-year-old Harry. Thank you so much for that list of stories. We'll make sure that the links to those get on the show notes so that people can check them out if they would like to do that. Those are all the questions that I had for you today, Yodeling Prospector. Do you have any last words for us before we go? Just keep writing and being awesome and 
live your best life. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us and for talking to me today. This was so much fun. Check out his stories on AO3 and give him some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram at fanficmaverick, on Twitter at fanficmaverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling.